Well, we're starting a series called um, Culture Builders, and we'll be spending the next five weeks looking at different focuses, which I believe that God very clearly spoke to me about in terms of uh, what He desires to be a, the foundational cu- uh, cultures of us here at ACC. So when I say the word culture, what do you think of? Many of you would think of um, the nationality cultures that people would have, the different focuses and the different ways of doing things that are determined by your, your heritage or your background. We're, we're a pretty multicultural church, and, and each of us, because of our background, we carry cultural characteristics which determine the way that we do things and the way that we live our lives. They determine the way that we interact with people, and it shapes the way that we live. Beck and I often joke about it that we've got both generational and cultural differences in our family because of the different heritages that our backgrounds come from and our parents and because we were born in different countries. And those things shape the way that we do things and they cause us to view the world differently depending on our our culture. When you hear the word culture, you might think of what people practice, the the, the things that they do um, in their daily lives, the the traditions that they have, the way that people live their lives. Essentially, what we're talking about is the structural framework in our thinking which shapes the outworking in our lives. Let me say that again. It's the um, uh, the, the structural framework in our thinking which shapes the outworking in our lives. But now we have this dilemma. See, the Bible speaks very clearly about a different culture. It speaks about a a kingdom culture that we should work, that should be at work in our lives. A different structural framework that would shape the outworking of our lives to be different to what the world would do. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? There is a different culture at play here, a a, a cultural framework that is good and acceptable and perfect in the sight of God, and which obviously is different to the culture of the world around us. It's a culture that is displayed and that is tested by what we do and how we do it. Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 11, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. You see, this culture looks different. It responds differently. It acts differently to the world around us. It has traditions which makes it stand out from the rest of the world. Peter says in Acts 10.34, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and the one who does what is right. In other words, regardless of your national culture, your national background, it's possible for absolutely anyone to take on this different culture, this kingdom culture that he's speaking about. Anyone can choose to set this new framework that has the things that God desires for our lives. We can set that framework in our lives, and that would dictate our actions and our response to the things around us. This kingdom culture supersedes any natural culture that we have been born into or that we live amongst. And so it's aspects of this kingdom culture that we're going to be focusing in on over the next few weeks. It's a culture that stands out from what is happening around us. It's a culture that doesn't conform to the normal way of doing things. 
These cultural pillars are things which, if they're demonstrated in and through our lives and in the life of the church, will make us stand out from the culture around us. But here's the thing. They can't just be spoken about. They have to be acted upon. Because as we said, culture is the framework which shapes the outworking in our lives. Culture is the gateway through which every action, every mindset, every response, and every priority in our lives is shaped. In South Africa, there is a word called Ubuntu. There's no real English translation to the word Ubuntu. The closest that you can come to it is a phrase which says, I am because we are. Ubuntu, I am because we are. It's a philosophy that says that society is what gives human beings their humanity. It's all of us that determines who I am. It's, it's based on who we all are. Loosely, what it's saying is that what we are is the foundation to what I am and what you are. In Mark 2, there's a story of Jesus in, the house, in, in a house in Capernaum, Capernaum. And he's teaching and this house is packed with people who are there wanting to hear Jesus speak. And some men come to, they hear that Jesus is there. And so they come to the house carrying a friend of theirs who's paralyzed. They come carrying him on a, on a mat. But they couldn't get through the door into the house because it was so full. So they climbed up onto the roof and they broke through the ceiling and they lowered their friend to Jesus. And it says in Mark 2 verse 5 that when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on to heal the man too. But it starts with saying, because of their faith, because of the people who brought you along, it's because of their faith. And that's what Ubuntu is. And that's what culture really is. I am because we are. We're all in this together. It's the foundation of what you and I are. And and when we carry a culture, it shapes the way that we do things. But here's where it gets interesting. See, while the culture determines what we do, while a culture defines the things that we do, we determine the culture that we hold to. And so while while we we come under a culture and that determines what we do, we actually have a choice to, to decide what culture it is that we're going to carry. And culture isn't determined and created by simply speaking about it. Culture only happens when it's displayed through the lives of people. And that's where every one of us comes into this conversation. We can wish it. We can talk about it. We can think that it's a really good idea for other people to have. We can even put the magnets on the fridge. But unless every person makes the decision to allow kingdom culture to become the framework in his or her own life and allow it to shape the outworking of our lives, then culture is simply a concept and not a way of living. And as a concept, it's never going to change anybody's life. In a concept, it's never going to affect the community around us and the city around us. It's only when it's displayed through our lives. But God's promise is to help us to build this culture in our lives, to be culture builders of this different way of living. His promise in Ezekiel 36 says this, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's God's promise for us. If we humbly allow God to do in our lives what he promises to do, we can build our lives through this different cultural framework. But each of us has a role to play. Each of us has the opportunity to be a part of this and to carry a different culture, a culture that reflects the kingdom of God. We each play a part in building this culture and we each play a part in building culture, whether intentionally or unintentionally. See, we can conform to the culture around us or we can be determined to live out the culture that sets us apart and allow God to define the framework of our culture. And so after a very long-winded introduction, let me pray. God, I thank you for all that you've done. And I pray that you would anoint my lips to clearly share this message today. God, I pray that it would fall on fertile soil, open hearts that would receive this word and would be willing and desiring to see change take place. Lord, I pray that the series, as we look at the culture you want us to build here at ACC, that it would transcend from just head knowledge and information that that we hear, that, Lord, we become a part of who we are, that you would give us a new heart, a new way of living, that, Lord, we would live it out, that we'd live it out in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, and in the community around us. God, I ask that we would be changed so that we can be the change. Do it in us so that we can transfer it to others, that we can bring a kingdom culture to our world. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. At the beginning, I said that there are five cultural pillars that I believe that God clearly spoke to me about that he wants ACC to be recognized and renowned for. And we could spend the rest of the year looking at different cultural aspects of kingdom culture and still not cover them all. And so these five aren't the full extent of what kingdom culture entails, but I believe that these five pillars are instrumental in shaping the culture of what God wants us as a church to demonstrate to the world around us. And as I said last week, this is certainly by no means a celebration of who we are yet, but it's an encouragement about what we are becoming, what God's calling us to become. Each week we'll look at one of these, and each week on the way out of church, uh, we've got a little gift for every family, and there's actually, we've, we've made five different fridge magnets to go on your fridge. Um, and each of them has the cultural focus on it that we're going to be talking about that week, but it's only when you have all five do you see the full picture? That's a good idea, hey? I thought that was, was quite clever. I thought it was cool. Fair enough. <laughs> but I hope that it'll be a reminder to you that, uh, about what God is calling us as a church and us individually uh, to display in our day-to-day lives. And so the first cultural foundation, the first cultural focus that we're going to look at today is community. Community. I believe that God wants us to truly understand and to display a culture of community. The dictionary defines the word community like this. People who share similar characteristics and identity. A group of men or women leading a common life together according to a rule. It's pretty clear that community is a trademark of kingdom culture when you read through Acts 2. Remember, the dictionary defines culture as a group of men or women leading a common life together according to a rule. Have a listen to Acts 2 from verse 42. It says, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's the rule. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Community is important to God. It's in His heart, and so it should be in the heart of the church. You know, on Wednesday this week, I had one of those crazy busy days that I'm sure we all have. Uh, You would have had a laugh if you saw the back of my car. There were about four or five outfits in there because I was going from one place to the next, came to church, had a couple of meetings, then I had to go and get into my my suit and tie because I conducted, conducted a funeral for some friends. Uh, their father passed away. Then from there, I had to get changed again and go to the Kids Hope Mentoring afternoon tea. And so we had time with the, the, the mentors and the kids and, and their family and had a great time there. Then from there, I had to go off to soccer training because I train an uh, under-12 soccer team. It's a great way, I feel, for me to get involved in the community. And then from there, home and had dinner with the family. And it was just one of those days where just so much was going on here, there, and everywhere. But I got to the end of the day, and obviously knowing what I was going to share on today, I couldn't help but think to myself, you know what, in every area of life, we are better when we do it together. In every area of life, we are better together. We're better when we do life together. It's better when we can mourn when, we, uh, when we've lost a loved one, when we've got people around us that we can mourn with. It's better when we can celebrate the great things that are happening, when we can do it together. As a team, it's better when we're together. In Romans 12, it says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Galatians 6.2 encourages us, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are better together. We are much better together. In Genesis, we see that God takes six days to create everything. And all this stuff happens. He, he says, let there be light, and then there's light. And he separates, and he forms, and he speaks, and it, it all happens. And after every day that he creates something, he says, it was good. He looks at what he's done, and he says, it, it is good. It's a constant theme. Speak, create, it is good. Speak, create, it's good. And then it says that God creates man in his own image. And again, God says, it is good. But then for the first time, God says that something is not good. It's the first time that we see God look at all the things that he has made and declare that something isn't good, something's not perfect, something's not right. We'll go through the story. I'll get there. I'll get there. (laughs) So let's have a look at Genesis 2 from verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. Take note of that. To work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now we need to understand the context and and put ourselves in this, this passage of scripture. At this point in time, the only person on the planet is Adam. It's just Adam. And Adam is given a job by God, take care and work in the garden, manage it, look after it. Tend to it. And he's there by himself. But he's working. He's got a function to do. God's given him something to do. In other words, Adam was productive. When Adam was the only one around, he was productive. He had something to do. He was producing something. And sometimes we can think, well, I'm being productive, so I don't need people around. But here's the thing. 
You can be productive but still not reach your full potential. You can be productive but never fully fulfill the purpose that God has called you to. You can't do some things without people. We need people around. We are better with other people. And so God sees that Adam is being productive. He's working. He's doing what God has said. He's doing the raking or whatever else you do in the garden. I don't know. You can tell I'm a gardener. I don't know. Well, how do you be productive in the garden? I just stand there and look at it. It looks good. Hope it rains. That's cool. But he's doing something in the garden. Mum's shaking her head. She's going, oh, gosh. Not a gardener. But Adam knows what he's doing. He's doing, and he's doing well at it. But then it says this in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. He sees Adam in the garden. He sees Adam being productive. But God says that he, he sees that Adam can't accomplish all that, that God has set for him to do. He needs some help. Look at the person next to you and say, you need some help. Okay, now look at your second choice, your second option, and tell them you really need help. Some of you said that with a little bit too much conviction. You need help. You need help. You need some serious help. We are better together. We are better together. On your own, we make silly decisions. On our own, we're not as effective. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them fall down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. But now watch this. So Adam is working in the garden. God says it's not right for him to be alone. I'll make him a helper. But then look what it says from verse 19 and 20 in Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So when Adam was created and God said that he needed help, he gave Adam some things that could help him. So God doesn't go from saying, I'm going to give him a helper to go straight to woman. He goes to donkey. He goes to platypus. He goes to three-toed sloth. He even goes to Labrador. And still no suitable helper. So verse 21, it says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woe man. man. For she was taken out of man. We are better together. We are better together. Not you and donkey, not you and sloth, not even you and Labrador. We are better together, people. And it comes through relationship. Yes, Adam was productive on his own, but he required a person to bring out his full potential. The best helper God could give was another person. 
And I don't think it was a mistake from God's side to first go through all the animals. It was, it was clearly done to show us that we can try, that there's nothing that can substitute for having people around. So how many of you have seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? You've seen the movie before? So he ends up on this desert island. He's all alone. He finds himself a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball, and he ends up getting a handprint on it from his blood and makes it into a face. And he starts talking to the volleyball. He starts talking to Wilson. He starts arguing to Wilson. He starts taking Wilson wherever he goes because Wilson's now his friend. He throws Wilson out of a cave and then he panics because he's lost his only friend. So he goes running out in the middle of the night to find Wilson. Wilson, where are you? Why am I talking about a volleyball? Because we all have a Wilson in our lives. We've all got Wilsons in our lives. We've got our jobs. We've got our phones. There's social media. The television, our bank accounts, our possessions, all of these things. These things are not people, but we've made them into our best friends. We've substituted them for the real relationships that are available to us. And we can adapt things to make us feel like they're helping us to meet our full potential. And we can even put a face on it and we can talk to it. We can even give it a name. But just like Adam having every single creature God created pass in front of him, we will always come to the same conclusion as Adam that there is still no suitable helper besides a person. James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. You can't gather unless you have people around you. You can't gather with a bunch of volleyballs. We've got to have people around us. And I'm not talking about having a dependency on people. Please hear me. I'm not talking about being dependent on people. Our dependency is on God. But God understands the value of being in proximity with other people. Of encouraging one another, of building one another up, of praying with each other, of walking the journey with others. We are better together. When you're wounded, when you're discouraged, when you're hurt, when you're feeling down, what's our natural response when we go through that? We shut the door and we isolate ourselves. We hide away from people. And sometimes in moments like that, we can substitute interacting with people with something else. And it may bring some relief, but almost all of the time that I can see, the answer is found in community, of gathering together with others. What I've found is that God works a lot more through a person than through a Wilson. God will work a lot more 
more times through an interaction and a relationship with a person than he will through a Wilson, through something that we've substituted for the real deal. We are better off together. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer to every question, to every situation, to every need. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. But God wants to use the church as the link. He wants to use people as the conduit for his love. He wants to use community as the doorway. And that's why community is so important. God established his church. He wants this to happen. Community is so important to God. That is why it needs to be important to us. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Can I say, if we live a life of love, we live a life that makes a difference. If we live a life of love, of demonstrating love to one another, we live a life that makes a difference. If we adopt a culture of community where we live a common life together, where we love one another, where we encourage one another, where we lift each other up, then we live a life that makes a difference in the lives of the people around us. We have been loved to show love. We have been included to include. And this isn't just a church thing, can I say. This is not limited to just the body of Christ. This is not a message only for those who come to church. There is opportunity for community all around us, for our workplace, workmates, for the people around us, for the people that we bump into, for the, our next door neighbors. Community is more than just a church idea. It is for everyone. That's why it says 1 Thessalonians 3, I pray, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. So often we just read, oh, love for one another. Great, we'll just have a holy huddle and we'll just stay and keep it all here. No, God says, make it overflow to each other. Yes, have community within the church. Yes, build friendships and relationships and stay strong. But for everyone else too, there is nobody excluded. God's community is strictly inclusive. It includes everyone. It includes the poor. It includes the rich. It includes the, 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 the well-known and the popular and the lonely and the lost. It is for everyone. God's community is strictly inclusive of everyone. So what does it look like for you? How does this play out in your world? If a culture of community is what God desires in His church, how does it affect the way that you live? Well, I want to encourage you. Be the change you desire to see. Be the change that you desire to see. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people and they've said, Mike, no one ever calls me. No one ever comes and visits me. No one ever invites me out for coffee. And the truth is, is that unfortunately that is the reality to, for many people. That's the life they, that, that, that's their experience. They've, they've felt that. Nobody's invited them. Nobody's called them. But every time I have a conversation with somebody who says that, 
I have to come back to and ask the question, have you called someone? Have you gone over and visited someone? Have you invited someone out for a coffee? See, we can either choose to sit and blame everyone else for community not happening, or we can choose to make community happen. We can be the change we desire to see. When Beck and I were still living in Cape Town, we made a decision to make community happen instead of waiting for it to happen to us. And so on a single wage, because I was at Bible College and in this tiny little shoebox apartment that we had, we made the choice to invite. We made the choice to make community happen. And we had over 100 people come through our tiny little house for meals, for coffees, for movies, over 100 people before we got a single invite back. It takes a commitment. It takes a commitment to make community happen. But it unlocks something in that group of people around us. And because we chose to make community a priority, it started with just us. But it grew and grew until others grabbed hold of it because it became a culture. It, it, it moved away from just an idea. It moved away from us complaining that it wasn't happening. We were proactive. We took the step. We wanted to bring the change we desired to see. And we set up a culture that other people said, I want a part of that. And so they started inviting. And they started inviting. And then the people they invited did the same thing. And it caught like wildfire. Why? Because it's important to God. And it means something important to every single person. We are not an island. You are not an island. We've got to do life together as a community. God desires for us to have a culture of community. So who can you invite? What time can you make available? Be the change that you desire to see. And secondly, get involved. Again, you read Acts 2 and when you read it, they didn't just meet together, but they got involved with each other's lives. They got stuck in. They helped out. They were a part of a team. One of the most important aspects of community is having a common cause together, something that you're working towards. And community is strengthened when we all get involved together. By just attending, can I say, you will never feel as connected in a community than if you're involved. When you're standing on the outside looking in, you will never feel as connected into a community unless you are actually involved in it. When you get involved, when you put your hand up, when you, when you put your shoulder to the wheel, you become instrumental in seeing community happen. And I want to encourage you, you know my heart, I love you guys, but there are opportunities for people to get involved in church. Simple ways, very easy ways, but it's not about what you can do. It's about the community that you can be a part of when you're involved. When we're doing this together, I'll be brutally honest. I've had a couple of people come to me and say, how can I get into the in club? How can I, how can I get a, be a part of the, 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 the clique, the, 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 the group that seems to be doing everything? I said, it's very easy. You just show up. You just show up and you put your hand up and say, hey, what can I do? Can I straighten chairs? Can I pass around the buckets? Can I, can I wipe a table? That is the only prerequisite to be in the in-club in the church because there is no in-club. It's just people who are committed to each other and doing community together. And we want you to be in that community with us. We are better together. And to be 
together. Let's start inviting people. Let's start being the change we want to see. And let's get involved. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray, as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, that our love may increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And that the love that we have would compel us to action. Lord, that we would not stay where we are, but that we would be moved to be the change. God, we can see clearly that you want us to be in community, that we work better together. God, I pray that you would help us to take hold of this culture and to build it into our lives and to build it into the church. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we'd be willing to be challenged by you to change the culture, to change the culture, Lord God. And Lord, first step, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of community, of being together, of not forsaking the gathering of the saints, of inviting people and building relationships, of when we're feeling down and low to not isolate ourselves, but to have people around us that we can call on to lift us up. I am because we are. I am the church because we are the church. God, help us to live a life of community, of being strictly inclusive of everyone. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.